Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Warden. My guest today is Richard Kershaw, Master of Wine. What are you doing? What's that face you're doing? I've no idea. It's already, already degenerated. I've known Richard for about, how long is it? 30 it's years? It's actually probably 23 years. Feels like a century, doesn't it? It does indeed, yes. Yeah, I don't know how um, we're still friends, really. really. No, yeah. <laughs> I didn't we, know we were. Or even, <laughs> or even how you passed the Master of Wine. That was how much money, how many suitcases of, of greenbacks did that cost you to get? I mean, An enormous amount. And yeah. given the inflation, yeah. Given awesome. the Brexit situation. South even America, more. Peru. <laughs> was it, it was Pe- Peruvian gold, generally. Panama, yeah. yeah. Pretty. So you're obviously quite sharp. Uh, very sharp, yeah. indeed. That, uh, that, uh, obviously one of the sharpest pins there. Yeah, well, in, in, in a box with only one pin in, so, you know, <laughs> not surprising. Indeed. It's, yes, yeah. Um, anyway, so moving swiftly on, the Master of Wine. Uh, when did you become a Master of Wine, Richard? It was back in the 2011 vintage. Right. And it was actually not at my first attempt, but when we had a little go at it back in the did in the days, in the 1990s. where it's very British orientated, I didn't get anywhere with it, and I decided to cut it all in and throw it all in and start making wine. And then only so you're doing the, you doing the master of wine in England? Yeah, didn't work out. Yeah, got fed up. Yeah, and, mo- and why did so? Why did you move to South Africa? Actually, part part of the reason I got fed up was that the company I was working for at this particular time had decided that that was master of wine wasn't something high on their agenda. They also Ru- said you're pretty crap at your job as well, if I remember. But um, uh, yeah. no, I. I don't remember that, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but the main main premise was that to leave it w- was I'm not going to stay around if that's the case. Leave the job, travel the world, spend the money that I don't have on things I don't need, but at least explore the wine regions and make a bit of wine in the meantime. Get paid in pesos, which basically are nothing, and um, effectively try and try and get some sort of idea of uh, becoming a master of wine. That was my first sort of inkling, and, and that's what I did until 96 when I decided to kind of jack it in and uh, start to actually concentrate more on a winemaking career. So you felt that actually being a winemaker would help you pass part of the exam, basically? I, actually, I did, yes. I felt during the study time when I was researching my first dissertation that traveling between the various uh, wine regions of the world, I felt a, an active and deeper knowledge of winemaking was essential. Otherwise, you were just merely a sort of peripheral player or you were never really going to get to the nuts and bolts especially given the fact that the complexity of wine isn't just in sort of quality wine regions it's it's throughout all wine regions did you manage to spend any time in italy or was that off the radar at the time at the time it was a little off the radar was that a langu- language barrier well i spent time in portugal although there's a lot of um, english uh, gentry there and um, certainly was when we were there it's and come to then, tuscany mate it's full of english gentry well that's true i should have maybe come maybe i should have known but no actually at the time it was mostly sort of spain Portugal and and North America as well as parts of France. Okay, so Italy wasn't really on the radar. Unfortunately not, no. So, so you moved so now you're in Elgin. Where is that in South Africa making wine? Well, about an hour an hour east of Cape Town or east east southeast of Cape Town. For on the, the coast? Mo- it's right on the coast. Yeah, we're uh, we're about 11 kilometers from the sea and uh, we're surrounded by mountains. So 11 kilometers up a hill and then down the hill and uh, one of the the coolest climate in South Africa, so interesting area for Why is it so cool? Is largely, largely it's to, well. Altitude is partly to, partly responsible. It's it's a little bit higher than most, three to five hundred fifty, six hundred meters. It's quite high, isn't it? Yeah, relatively, yeah, relatively so. And obviously, proximity to sea. Uh, also, m- mostly because we get a lot of rainfall due to our mountain. We're surrounded by mountains. Cle- so it's like a rain trap. It's a little bit of a rain trap and a cloud map trap. So a lot less UV light radiation and and so on and so forth, which gives us a little bit less 
uh, well, longer time to ripen our grapes and therefore more challenging for certain varieties. And do you irrigate then if it's rainy? Well, actually, during looking at all the analysis, and we could get very geeky here, but the we actual like se- seasonal... That's we got you on the show. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> for the... But the simple thing is that the, the actual uh, rainfall is such that we get enough rainfall and we get less seasonal evaporation due to slightly higher humidity or, or vapor pressure deficit figures to get more precise. Mm. They actually, we shouldn't need to actually irrigate at all. And in many cases, we don't. However, due to the fact that the, pl- the, pl- the farmers that planted the vineyards in the first place uh, were apple-derived because all the farmers uh, in Elgin originally were apple farmers. They tended to go for irrigation simply because apples need irrigation, so they assumed they would. Right. But a number of times we don't use actually any irrigation water. So um, if you're saying it's, a, it's a, obviously a South Africa pretty hot place, but you're in a cool climate in a hot area, a yeah. hot place essentially, mm. what is the scope there in your particular region for Italian wine varietals, do you think? Or do you have to move f- further inland to the warmer climes? I think certain varieties could could work extremely well. And in our li- in our little region, which it is little, um, only eight hundred hectares planted, tiny. Um, there is a little bit of Nebbiolo planted, as in, in in regards to Italy. And Nebbiolo is also seen in Constantia as a variety that's worked quite well, for example, with Stienberg. So where's um, Constantia? That's towards uh, the southern peninsula, so south of Cape Town by about half an hour. Is that and much warmer there then or not? It's it's a coolish climate, but it's a warmer it's warmer than Elgin. And what um, are the Nebbiolos like? Are they sort of aromatic? Are they, they Italianized they, or are they New Worldy? Or how would you describe them? At this point, I would say my 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 problem with a lot of the Nebbiolos is they're slightly more modernized, clearly because of the of the market they're selling them to. There are they do get the aromaticity, which is great. And, but they don't quite get the firmness of tannins and the density. But there is some good tannin density in some of the wines. So you can see there's clearly a, a possibility. And obviously, clearly with older vines and maybe other areas, maybe Elgin could work. We certainly get a lot of cloud cover in Elgin and, uh, and we get a lot of mist. And so maybe, who knows, that could have a time, and a what romantic about, time. What about the Swartland, which is a kind of hot, um, in both senses, it's trendy, very trendy area, a lot of old vines, bush vines. Yeah. And when you go to that so, and, and schisty soil, when you go there, you kind of do think, it reminds you of southern Italy, very arid place. Do you think there's scope there? for um, southern Italian varieties, I say like Primitivo or Alianico or things like that? I think pers- I think definitely uh, Primitivo or, or Zinfandel and certainly Aglianico could work extremely well. Um, at the moment, there's a huge focus clearly on the Spanish st- style, so Morvedras, Grenache or Grenache, and uh, there's a leaning towards that simply because of the heat, I suppose the dryness, the lack of humidity and lack of rainfall. So at this point, there's nothing really more Italianized. And, and, and to be fair, a lot of that is derived from vines that are old. So, so at this point, there isn't, hasn't been a lot of old Italian varietals planted to, to give them, or, or varietals planted that have age. So how easy, if, if, I'm a, you know, if I'm a wine, well, you're a winemaker and you want to import some cuttings yeah. of, for example, Sangiovese, for example, how easy is it to get those into South Africa, obeying all the regulations that you would need to export from Italy and to import into South Africa? It's about a five-year quarantine period. Really? So actually, well, from start to finish, as as, as getting it and then and then actually planting it. Have you tried? Um, I haven't tried, but I do know this, for, in, actually more in relation to clones for Pinot Noir. Right. Um, that's, that's been a more, it's a roughly, roughly the sort of um, lead time. Um, but it's very possible and they're very much open to it. What is interesting, though, is that actually of the 152 authorized varieties in South Africa, there is actually only 94 planted. So clearly there are a lot of varieties that are available but just aren't being planted. 
Right. Um, so when you say available, you mean that cuttings are in the country? Cuttings, legally, they are, they're, they're, they're legally, they're legally there. Yeah, they're legally there. They're legally available. Just that people haven't picked them up. So if you look at Italian varieties, I know Vermentino, for example. I don't think it's been planted particularly at all. I know there's, uh, I think Verdicchio, some of the other more white, some of the white Italian varietals. Um, I'm not quite sure on the on the reds, but I'm sure there are a number of varieties that are. Well, clearly there are a number. There's, I mean, that's a third of the entire amount unplanted. Right. In terms of Italian culture in, I don't know, say, for example, Cape Town, are there little Italian areas there or Spanish areas or is it very kind of just South African and international? How does it work? Greek. Greek. <laughs> There's oh, a lot okay. of Greek areas. Actually, in fairness, there are definitely Italian pockets and there are definitely Itali- wineries which have Italian influences because obviously on the other side, I mean, I'm not just talking about grapes, olives in particular. There's a large amount of olives planting and there's a large amount of Italian influence. Morgenstern, there's Costa, uh, Idiom actually is, has a lot of Italian influence. So who are they? They, they olive oil, olive oil They've been olive oil producers or, and or they've started up a winery on the back of that for, for their primary industry. And others are just basically interested in uh, Italian varieties. There is a definite, uh, you know, that Italians have tended to be uh, good emigres. So we see them, we do see them in, uh, in the Cape. Um, as we do in Joburg. Um, but no, there's definitely interest. Um, I think possibly the, the issue that South Africa s- struggles with a little bit is, is identification of where its regions can produce the best grape varieties. And that lack of um, focus has, has often meant that the international grape varieties have come first. And from that, and now, or rather right now, is there is a definite upswing in trying to plant some of the more uh, esoteric? Less esoteric grape varieties, or even just less known. I mean, some of them aren't that esoteric at all. They just need to be, be they need a wider audience. But unfortunately, you've got a, a local market that clearly needs to be tapped into to generate that wider performance. Pinot Grigio is a good example as a you know widely clearly widely planted grape variety has done extremely well in in other areas outside of Italy. But you struggle to find it in South Africa, and it could easily be um, a perfect foil for great many variety a great many dishes. But importantly, could be a difference to say Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon, which is almost ubiquitous in its shelf space in in, in all of South Africa. And what about um, exports of um, uh, South African wine in general? Where are the main markets? Just see where the market is going. So what, you know, the potential competition for Italian wine in other markets? Well, I mean, in terms of South Africa, the main market's always been the UK, possibly because they're tying Holland because of the Dutch connection. The American market has been tapped into to an extent or tried to be tapped into time and time again with little or no success. But why not? Why why is it so difficult? I think generally uh, financial issues, just the cost of actually trying to get into the market. uh, Words are not government funded. The government is anti-alcohol and tries with its every, especially because it's uh, the the perceived white monopolist, white capitalists sort of running the farms that there's always been an issue with that and also there is there are issues with consumption as in poorer people who there have are. dependency and there, there's an ascent yes to an extent but but a much lesser extent i would say but the thing is that america has started to ch- change and i think also one has to remember that in america there has been a, a general change from sort of east to west coast as as that market itself has also started to become more open-minded about a imported wines and b South African wines. I know it sounds ridiculous. Geography plays a huge part. I think That's Australia is right, so far away. Well, yeah. I mean, we talk about Australia being uh, quite a, a, an exciting country when it arrived in the England because it was literally on the other side of the world. For America, South Africa is really on the other side of the world. Um, it's a difficult place to get to. So in a way, I think geography does play a part. Uh, Europe's a lot easier to get to, even though it's, uh, you know, it's in the time time zone. Um, so I think that's where the market has tended to concentrate. 
although of late there has been definite movement in the Chinese market, and interestingly, more recently, Japan. Okay. So you are a master of wine? Yes. When did you pass? 2011. And you are sort of on the education committee and all the rest of it. Yeah, you're quite a, a I have big, an active, yeah, I have an active quite a, role. Quite a grand fromage, a big cheese in the master of wine. Uh, when students are studying, Italian wine is often seen as very complicated with all these ridiculous amount of native grape varieties with complicated names and synonyms and all the rest of it. How, what is the approach of the Institute to teaching about Italian wine? Well, actually, I think the initial approach is, of course, the Institute is not a teaching establishment. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's an establishment in which you, as the student, should be coming in fully knowledge, or fully armed with your knowledge from your diploma or equivalent of. And so all the geeky stuff like, you know, the, the, the maximum amount, minimum amount of Sangiovese and Chianti Classico, exactly. all that sort of thing. Okay. You should have all that knowledge already under your belt. The basics. I think the essential teachings, though, is that from a Master of Wine perspective, you are, and increasingly because of the, the, the homogeneity that's sort of been created over the last 20 years, there is a tendency to focus on the classics. So Sangiovese, Nebbiolo, Alianico, things like that. Absolutely. And and sort of areas where, where there is a perceived difference because tasting blind is often more challenging when you when you've got sort of grape varieties that taste very similar to each other um, however if there are a lot of the papers more recently in terms of practical have focused um, so when you say the right this is a blind yes. tasting exam sorry yes it's yeah. a blind tasting exam so three parts There's to it three parts 12 wines in each part and they are 12 paper uh, sorry the first paper 12 wines of white second is a red paper and the third is essentially a mixed paper in the past it was often a fortified sparkling Rose clean up for really. the mix for the mixed paper for the mixed paper. Now it can be almost uh, anything you want. We've had an all red paper, which has been challenging for those students who have religiously studied for fortifiers and sparkling. But um, it changes every year. But in terms of the the main papers, the wines from from Italy would be classics, would they? Like a suave yeah. or yeah, you're, you're going to look Barolo. in terms of white wines, red wines. Yes, absolutely. You're you're going to be suave. You're going to be in um, the Piedmont area. You're going to be in uh, Tuscany, and you're going to be asked to know those sorts of areas and di- differentiate between your Chiantis and your Brunellos and So what's and a so typical and so question forth. and so you have four just say there's four reds and they say of these four reds um, they're all the same variety how does it work well, well, give, what, give us a typical question as imagine they say four, four Sangiovese what would the what would the question be how would it be phrased well actually the thing is that sorry what I was really going to what was I, I, I going to say before I was rudely no, no. interrupted <laughs> I get fine every time I interrupt people I have to pay a 10 euro something fine. like that yeah, yeah. to me a thousand euros in this one yeah. yeah actually the, the, the thing is that the, the, the questions are very different now because um, when when we first had a go at this back in the 90s, you would get sort of four varieties or or you would more more likely get four wines which are all from Italy and you would then be there asked to differentiate between what you thought they were. And, so and these, these four wines are all from one country. One country. Name and the you country, would be, give your yes. reasons why and what are, what are the great and, and as And as diligent students, we would immediately pick up the Barolo without any problem, the Chianti <laughs> with a little bit more problems but probably prick it up and we'd probably pick up whatever, maybe a, a southern Italian wine and then we'd maybe struggle with the sort of rather international Bulgari Cabernet Merlot wine, and but we'd go there because that would be our sort of our ringer for the for the four. Now there's a little bit more accent on maybe pres- showing four four wines from Piedmont and focusing more on the vintages, right. and more importantly that the the question that might arise is that you might get more unusual grapes. So in fact you wouldn't get a lineup so for Italians you might get a lineup of two wines say from uh, Nerello Mascarese or something like that where you are asked really where do they fit in the market what's the commercial appeal right. 
yeah. um, what, where do you th where, what sort of um, outlets they would be sold in. So in a, in a way, a more generalized uh, outlook. And your job would be then to describe the style and all the other ca characteristics. Because even if you didn't get it as a sort of a Sicilian wine, at least you were pretty close to what it was. Because that, that makes it, because there are a number of, you know, you could, a number of wines from, from those sorts of areas. So right, I've just given you Nadella Mascalese. In the, what market um, would that be going into? Give, give me your reasons why, three reasons on the spot. <laughs> Off you go, bam. But oh. clearly a nice sort of, you know, aromatic volcanic soil variety mm. that produces some, you know, nice gritty tannins that in a market such as uh, a developed market, mature market where they're interested, the young millennials are interested in something perhaps not with any wood or lashings of oak, something that's a available at a reasonable price at a wine bar, say in London or New York, that would be absolutely up their street. Um, something to go with a nice sort of interesting uh, sort of soft curry, something that, you know, something like that. That, that would be my kind of, uh, that's, what, that's where I'd be fitting in. And it's interesting um, and affordable. I think, you know, one has to remember one of the challenges of the modern wine world is that, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, we could still afford first growers. Now they are just distant thoughts. And, and if we do, we do we really want to try, you know, what can become slightly ubiquitous in Bordeaux with, with, with various techniques to make similar homogenized wines. So actually, in a way, the young generation is clamoring for these volcanic styles and different styles from, from areas like, say, Etna or wherever, that I think are very affordable and, and interesting. Um, do you think, I mean, Italian wine is, I mean, Italian, Italy has about you know, 75,000 different denominations and billions of native grape rice. Is it, when you open the sort of study book as a master, I think, oh, I just can't do this. Just, it's just, involved. that's just one country. I'm absolutely... Well, I think, actually, well, again, sorry, going back to my, my early point, there isn't a study book at all. Oh, I know. <laughs> because one is supposed to know. But when you open the diploma study book, the, you know, the indigenous varieties take more and more space. And clearly, the Master of Wine program is, is very much a snapshot in time. You are going to be judged doing the exam on the wines that are in current vogue. So again, when we had a go 20 years ago, Bulgari, Bulgaria actually had a point to part to play. So we tended to know our plovdivs and, and so on and so forth. Now that's not actually something that's that relevant. However, we, we all know our Etna wines now far better than we ever used to, but we will, we will delve further into the sort of outer reaches of Puglia and probably unearth new varieties, that, or not new, but indigenous varieties that had no real uh, interest and now start to become interesting. Santorini, you know, in Greece has started to become an interesting, you know, sap, you know everybody's planting a Certico we have actually in, in, in South Africa. I think the, the future is, 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 of anything, like a study group, is, is to be up and current with the education program and show the wines that are relevant to, to the audience because that's really where your mastery in wine is going to come out of. Um, rather than sort of stick to the to, to the to the, the the stodgy. However, having said that, the classics are still there, and we still do pay huge amounts of wine for Burgundy and so on, so forth, which we still clearly need, do need to know, even if we have to take a second mortgage. So, how do you think the most expensive, like the, the Barolos and the Brunellos, stack up internationally? As, as not as a master of wine, but just as a, as a, as a wine drinker. As like. a wine drinker, uh, and bearing in mind I live I live on the other side of the world, so technically it's harder to get these wines. I, I have a stash full of Italian wines more than any other region. Oh, now you now you're I running out you. of tape. <laughs> You know, we've got like two minutes left, go on. Well, I, I have a stash full of, of wines. I think mo mostly because I still think the value of those wines are still remarkably good. So go sure. on, what's in the cupboard? Go on, tell us. What's in the cupboard? Okay, well, okay, the classic, a lot of Piedmont wines, to be fair with you. Such as? as such as the Gaias and the uh, con uh, Aldo Contornos and uh, Sandrones. And I know, I know a little bit modern um, for those likes. But mm. um, yeah, and then uh, a bit of Scavino here and there and whatever and so on and so forth. 
and then um, anything from southern Italy or uh, your northern Italian snow it's actually just, I'm know, very only bird if it's from Piemonte <laughs> <laughs> no actually uh, quite a lot of Brunellos and now, and now you're going to ask me I can't remember the names That's but actually okay. quite a few but they're expensive as you know and then actually quite a, quite a few wines from you know Italy as well uh, sorry Sicily as well you quite like Sicily don't you you mentioned I do. about 85 times I have mentioned it 85 times <laughs> volcanic uh, volcanic so, sorry yes yeah. I know I will immediately desist that's become uh, really on trend hasn't it the volcanic thing I so, think so uh, yeah. yeah I think I think you you could argue that New Zealand never really pushed it, but they always had volcanic soils for their Sauvignon that made them so eminently drinkable. We'll cut that bit out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kiwi. Sorry, I don't even so, know where New Zealand is. Yeah, yeah. It's another <laughs> Kiwi podcast. You know, <laughs> bloody Kiwis get everywhere. Anyway, have we missed anything? Um, I think, yeah. yeah. Obviously, we're not on radio, yeah. so we can't yarn about how no, we can't. Attractive no, but and also, we would get taken to court in any of the stories that we, we, we would tell. So we really don't want them. I don't have a really particularly good lawyer. I'm sure you do, earning millions in Elgin. Anyway, Richard Kershaw, master of wine and bon vivant, bon vivant, with his stash of Brunello in his cupboard that he just had to let everybody know about. Exactly. Well, great to see you after so many years. Um, congratulations again on becoming master of wine. You are a very enthusiastic chap and just the kind of person that the master of wine need. Um, some of those stuffy, crusty, very aged old fogies that used to run it. And you're not one of those. And you don't cut that out, please, Julia. Keep it in. Uh, it's great to see people like you coming through and your enthusiasm and willingness to share your knowledge, your very deep knowledge, with the students. Well done. Thanks, Richard. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs>